Is your policy on pricing to just charge more? Or are you subject to someone else's price schedules? Who do you turn to when you don't know what to charge? Today on the podcast by Locksmiths for Locksmiths, we're going to blow apart one of the most controversial and secretive aspects of the trade. Dun, 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 pricing! I'm Tyler J. Thomas. Along with me are Jeff Moss and Handsome Ten Coleman. We are the three tumblers. Get ready, folks. The gloves are fucking coming off. There are many nuances to pricing that all locksmiths need to not just keep in mind, but truly live by when running their businesses or working for someone else's business. Do you automatically charge double on parts or do you keep it competitive? What about labor? Is that something you decide on while you're writing the invoice? So I'm going to drop a shit ton of wisdom right here. A lot of knowledge, probably the most I'll ever do outside of a classroom. And I don't ever anticipate on teaching. So this is going to be good. So with locksmithing, there are two categories of pricing. You've got parts and you've got labor, tangible and intangible, right? So I would lump service call charges in with labor because while it does include some tangible items like vehicle wear and the cost of gasoline, it is primarily based on your time spent between two jobs. Now, pricing parts is straightforward because manufacturers do the work for you via list prices. Uh, If you set your part pricing to list, you have two advantages. Number one, you have a set dollar amount that isn't arbitrary, and you can point to it if a customer asks why you charge what you charge for parts. Number two, you're buying from a distributor or even the manufacturer at a price point that is calculated as a percentage based off of list pricing. In other words, the part sells for $100, you get it for $50 because you got 50 off list that's your terms so therefore the more volume you can push towards one vendor the higher you're likely to get off that discount via discount pricing off of list bare minimum for price uh, for parts should be 50 percent, but ideally you want 55 to 60 percent ignoring things like bulk purchasing discounts for large orders jobs shit like that it's hard to get 55 to 60%, but it is doable. And that should always be the goal. Basically, manufacturers, distributors look at it as take care of them, they take care of us, and it goes both ways. Uh, and this also incentivizes you to negotiate larger discounts because it means a higher profit margin. And you can get those profit margins almost across the board, depending on who you buy from and what you're buying. So if I'm buying from one distributor and they give me 55 terms, which is basically 55% off, I'm doing a damn good job of milking every possible penny from the sale of every part I buy from them. So that's parts. Labor is not a straightforward. Pricing labor is a highly researched and debated topic. I mean, they this is like college level shit. Uh, but there are five basic strategies that will cover how you set your pricing. Now, you might not know this going into it, but it's going to fall into one of these five categories, just, you know, law of infinites or whatever they call it. You've got number one, cost plus pricing. This is where you calculate all your overhead and then you add desired profit margins. So typically you set your expenses over a year, things like insurance, your own wages, employees' wages if you have them, 
taxes, all that. Then you divide by the number of billable hours per year, basically 2080 per person. And then you apply your profit margins to it. It's very straightforward. A lot of people do this. Uh, you've got competitive pricing. Number two, that's where you find out what your competition, uh, what your competition is charging. And then you basically mirror it, you know, is what it is. Number three, penetration pricing. Uh, this is a, a big strategy for the new guys or girls. You're new in town and, or to the market, at least, and you set your prices as low as possible to capture work. Typically, this is a short-term deal because once you're getting repeat and referral work, your billable hours are safe, so to speak, and you can afford to raise them without too much risk of losing work. Number four, value-based pricing. This is arguably the most subjective of any pricing strategy because here you're setting your labor prices based off of what the customers are willing to pay or at least what you or what they perceive your labor is worth. It's highly subjective because $100 to me means $100 differently to Tim, Jeff, everybody else in the world. Now, this is my least favorite strategy, but it does have some merit because you can use it to price yourself into desired clientele, like high-end residential, by using it. Number five, last one, price skimming. This is where you set your prices high and then lower them to find a sweet spot. It's basically the opposite of penetration pricing, and it's big with established outfits looking to adjust their pricing. They start high and then adjust down instead of starting low and adjusting up because, again, they've got the repeat referral built in so they can afford to be a little bit creative and risky. I realize that the situations and circumstances and everything under the sun can make one of these strategies the best fit for you and your business. But on a whole, cost plus pricing is my favorite. I'm basically guaranteed a profit I deem necessary for my business so long as I filled my schedule. And this is ignoring stuff like pricing based on tasks instead of an overall rate. But just roll with me because you still get a set price year over year if you average it all out. And basically what I mean by that is some people charge just a straight hourly rate for anything they do. Some break it down by tasks. Like I've got a price for installing a fresh deadbolt. I've got a price for retrofitting a deadbolt. It still all averages out. Now, here's my issue with some, namely one in this industry, the, the just charge more crowd that I talked about at the beginning. Uh, this sack of bad shits go with the price skimming strategy, or at least they say they do. And then they just ignore the adjusting down part. So what this implies is that they're just going to raise prices to whatever and the workload, the billable hours don't decrease because of that, that the customers were just going to pay no matter what. Now, believe me when I say that ain't how shit works in this service industry. Never has, never will, unless you're the only outfit in town because Jim Bob Cooter just retired. And even then, it's not a guarantee because it's only a matter of time before somebody shows up in town to fill the void. Competition's a good thing. So they basically strike while the iron's hot in that situation. So barring some situation where you're the only outfit in town, here's the math of why this just charge more is horseshit. Let's say on average, your pricing nets you 100 an hour. You decide to increase your prices 25%. So 125 on average. 
2080 billable hours, one employee, fine. Using all these numbers, you have to hope that your new pricing doesn't alienate any more than 20% of your clients, existing or new, just to break even, okay? Now, if it does, a smart person adjusts down. That's the lowering part of price skimming. If it doesn't, you're not making money. You're losing money. And overall, the percentages, they change depending on where you are and where you go. But by and large, you, you don't come out ahead with this strategy unless you factor in the lowering prices. That's why it's got the adjustment feature involved in it. Now, there's one particular jerk off in this industry, and I'm not going to dignify him by giving him uh, or naming him. But he's, he, his basically his thing is, well, you weren't charging enough to begin with. Here's the thing. This fucking industry is so damn nuanced that you couldn't possibly say something that blanketed and uniform and still be right. Like I said earlier, $100 to me is different than others, especially when we're talking about Atlanta, Abilene, or Apalachicola in Florida. So it pisses me off more than ever when someone says, charge more without the adjust downward to offset any negative impacts. And this one offender never mentions it because, in my opinion, he's just full of shit. It's all a fucking act. But fake it till you make it and pretend y'all have it and you know everything until you do, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, uh, if someone suggests any of these pricing strategies that I've just laid out to you, give it serious consideration. Like I said, it's been researched and debated, and they all have their place. But if some chuckle fuck comes along and has his own method that he's purporting, seriously question why no one else in this industry or in the history of commerce has thought to do it that way and proven it successful enough to be in the discussion. If it sounds too good to be true, it ain't. So I'm going to get off my, my soapbox right now. Jeff, Tim, anybody got anything to add here? So you're saying that the people that just want to be the most expensive locksmith in the area, that's not. No, no. Uh, well, I, you can afford to be, or you can do that if, like I said, if you're the only person in town because I got nobody else to go to. But when you're competing, it's a bunch of snake oil, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, fake it till you make it. Tim, I say that you know, like my boss says to me, you should charge what you're worth. I mean, if you know how to fucking do something, then fucking charge for it. You know, if there's no other locksmith in town that will rekey this fancy ass architectural hardware, then and you know how to do it because you had one customer that had it and it took you three hours to figure it out and you charge them less. Once you know how easy it is, then you turn around and you charge more to the next fucking customer, you know, base it off of we we have itemized labor rates and so that is based off of our hourly labor rate but you know it, be fair about it have your price when you go to quote something if you think it's going to be a pain in the ass quote high and put in the quote look this may need to be adjusted either up or down because of what we find when we find it on the job. Uh, but give your customers that option. You know, I, I mean, I'm lucky I didn't start my own business. 
And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, charge what you know you're worth. Don't overcharge and and only undercharge if you're just starting out trying to get into it. That's all I've got to say. And this may be the last time we talk about pricing for a while. So I will just so Tim's company is like ours. We itemize based off of tasks, not overall labor. So there's the the reasoning behind that and the reason why a lot of locksmiths favor that, and I think it's the best for a reason, is that if you set your tasks to a set dollar number, like for example, installing a deadbolt, you set it to a number. You and your techs, if you have them, are going to get better over time. You're going to install the deadbolt faster or install the closer faster. So your profit margins start at X, and then over time, X increases incrementally. So you actually come out ahead the longer you do it. And then shit pops off where you get 100 jigs at the shop like Tim's got, and you've got all these technological advances that make your job easier but you don't adjust your pricing down. You keep it where it's at or then adjust for inflation and your profit margins keep growing because like I said, you're getting better at billing and better at doing that task. So used to take you 30 minutes. Now it only takes you 15, still charging the same. All right, y'all had enough or are you thirsty for more? Stay tuned for more of the Three Tumblers. Although the number of one-man show or mobile-only locksmith businesses outnumber brick-and-mortar shops in this country, there are still a number of storefront locksmiths around. How do the locksmiths behind the counter deal with pricing? Well, rule number one is ask the boss. (laughs) Can't go wrong when somebody else tells you what to charge. I mean, generally speaking, for parts, it's list price, um, programming car keys. We've sort of figured out the price of the tokens divided by how many we do in a year. So we charge a set price for programming keys. And very important, we charge for customer supplied stuff, whether it works or not. We just made our uh, disclaimer even more, uh, what's the word I'm wanting to say, you know. Verbose. Yeah, that whether, again, you know, like stating it in three different spots, if it doesn't work, you pay us either way. And then I've actually I've had sold a couple more of our own keys instead this week. That's a that's a different thing. You know, if we have it and they can return it, we'll try to do it. And then if it doesn't work, we might lose the $65, but it's our key. So, you know, shop stuff, I don't, you know, I can't say there's a formula how that stuff gets priced as far as why is a rekey X in the shop and why is it so much more in the field, but when you have to figure out, you know, salaries, gas, labor, you know, wear and tear on equipment, trucks, plus, you know, everything, plus the actual work that you're doing, you know, of course it's going to cost more. So, you know, if people want to bring stuff in and wait and, you know, leave it to save on a service call, that's not a problem. Um, We offer that, but it's, you know, if you want us to come out, you're paying for the convenience of us bringing a technician to your door. So it's going to cost more. It has to change with the times. We are not the most expensive in the area. You know, we want to take care of people. 
I've seen on some occasions where we go out there and you only charge a service call and mark, you know, customer education. So, you know, there are some things where they're, you know, if it can't be done, you can't really charge for it. If it's, you know, the door's falling off the hinges, you know, because the fire department broke it in or something like you got to have something stable to work on. So, you know, it, 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 I would say there's some discretion left to the person doing the work. Um, you know, custom stuff in the shop, it's harder to say because it might take me three, four hours altogether to work on something, but I can't charge three hours at our normal labor rate for out in the field, you know, because uh, they would think I'm crazy. So it, 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 there's at some, sometimes things get priced higher than what it would cost to buy a new one because it would be a lot easier to just buy a new one, you know even though I'm a collector of padlocks and somebody comes in with something old, it's going to be more cost effective to buy a new lock with two keys than it is to take the time to make a key by hand for something that's 50 years old. You know, that's just the way it is. So Tim, your thoughts after being in this for a year and a half or so. Well, I mean, we have, like I've said before, we have set labor rates and set charges and itemized labor and such but uh, to your point of discretion that's very much a uh it's it's a very good factor to have for any employees in the field where you you know go to someplace and the person's really nice or they're elderly or whatever and you adjust your charging i went to uh, lady's house she had bought a safe from us a little flame vault safe and it, basically she forgot how to punch in the combination for it on the keypad and i went there checked the batteries they were all good i swapped them out anyway and she put in her code and it opened right up she was so embarrassed and i i didn't even charge her a service call to come out because she was two minutes away from the shop and also i had stabbed my finger on a pair of wire nippers as i was pulling up to her shop grabbing my jewel bag so that was another reason i didn't charge her anything but you know being able to look at something and evaluate it and knowing what you're worth like i was saying before is a big part of it knowing how much trouble like how much a pain in the ass something is going to be to get it done in the shop is important. And if you have a set rate for something, then you say, okay, but, you know, tell your customer when they bring something into your storefront, you know, okay, let me look at this and I will give you a call back after I've had a chance to figure out what's going to need to be done and then give them a, an estimate or a quote then. Right. It's much easier to give a price when you have the thing in front of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I quote by pictures. I my boss does it, but I don't want to do it. I would rather eventually I know it's not mine, but and I know my boss will probably yell at me for this, but I would rather waste gas driving out to a job site or a potential job site to do a walkthrough and give a quote, then I would take pictures from that job site and say, okay, this might be what it is. And then wind up quoting, you know, 
hundred or thousand dollars lower than what it should be. Yep. And Tyler, as a business owner, what are your thoughts about shop pricing? I I, I think the uh, I think the best thing is is what Tom Demont's taught in all of his business classes as far as itemizing everything, every task. I mean, he 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 tells a story in his classes maybe to be funny, but also at the same time not funny. He's got a billing code every time he lubricates a cylinder. Every time he shoots lubricant, it costs some money. He's got to expend something for it. So I think the best thing you can do is be diligent as far as charging for everything you do. There are, like you both said, times where you can be discretionary, but lubricant costs money. Uh, time costs money, all this stuff. So uh, just covering your ass as far as making sure you're getting compensated for what it is because, you know, oh, my lock's not working. And then it takes a, uh, a shot of lubricant yeah it'd be nice to send them all on their way but at the same time you're having to pay for that lubricant so i i would like to add yes we do itemize clean and lube on our invoices and we do charge for it it's not a big amount but you know it's there it covers right. it yeah so we yes if somebody brings something in yeah they'll we write that up on their clean lock check operation you know whatever it is price I don't know about on a service call, but if somebody comes in and it's someone who we're billing, you know, all that adds up. So yeah, it's not usually not free. <laughs> no uh, such thing as a free lunch. Or a free locksmith. All right. That's been uh eye-opening as always. So up next, where do you get your pricing from if you're new? Tim might help or might make you mad. Are you brand new to the trade of locksmithing? Or maybe you are a semi-retired institutional locksmith. In either case, you're out on your own and you're trying to figure out what to charge your, hopefully, new customers. But where do you come up with these prices? Well, we might just be able to help you. You know, when you go to a class, because it in states with licensing, inevitably, they require continuing education. Other states who don't have licensing do have associations, and they put on classes in education. Just listen to our first episode. Uh, but one thing that I think would infuriate me if I weren't working for another shop and just out on my own is when... An instructor says, charge accordingly. Well, how the hell do you know what accordingly is? You know, I may think that I'm worth this, but in actuality, my skills and what I'm able to do for you are worth more. So who do you talk to? How do you find out? Do you call up competitors randomly and anonymously? on the phone and say, hey, how much do you charge to come out to my house that's five miles away from your shop and rekey three cylinders? You know, are you going to do that? Or do you just go and ask them, you know, figure out your pricing, charge what you're worth. But how do you figure that out? Tyler, you're probably our, our biggest out of th the three of us 
You're the biggest one as far as associations. What benefits does an association membership, whether it's a LOA or a state or regional membership, have to new logsmiths who are trying to figure out what to charge? Okay, so there's two ways you can approach it. Number one, if you're talking about the manufacturer, distributor pricing off a list, which I talked about in the first segment, face-to-face, uh, -face, uh, interpersonal connections, second to none. So you can negotiate a lot of good deals on the show floor. It doesn't have to be at a low. It can be at NCLA, ALA, any of them. Um, but there's there's a lot more to it where you're face-to-face -face with a person and you're, you're, you're talking pricing. Uh, so uh, there's that. Again, doesn't have to be a low. It can be in any of these things where a distributor or manufacturer's got a rep there. Number two, you've got peers there that can kind of clue you in to their philosophy. Now, I know there's forums, there's ClearStar, there's Facebook groups and all that. But number one, not every locksmith participates in them, i.e. me, i.e. Tim. And, and number two, what they're willing to share on there may not be the full story. They don't want it in writing or they don't want to necessarily give the full take. So if you're at the kickoff party at Aloha, for example, or Alabama's Christmas party, you got some drinks flowing, very personal face-to-face, -face, hanging out with a, a group of guys or girls, uh, you can get a lot of wisdom. You can you can learn a lot of things. Hell, fuck me. Uh, who did we go with, uh, Jeff? Me, you, Wayne, and, and Gene went to a steak dinner. I mean, how much wisdom was shared there that night? Yeah. So, you know, you just online's got its place and all of that. But as far as learning pricing, learning more than just pricing, just shooting the shit with locksmiths in person, it's second to none. Let me ask you about uh, real quick when you come up on those locksmiths who are like, they'll, they'll help you out, they'll give you tips, but they won't share pricing with you because it's some big secret to them and i kind of said that in a couple episodes ago where uh pricing is one of the biggest trade secrets in locksmithing you know i mean what what do you say to those people like to to a new locksmith who goes up to another locksmith who's willing to sit there and talk with them about installation techniques etc but they won't discuss pricing I mean, that's that's their prerogative. I'll, I'll just try to milk it other ways. I, I'm an open book. I don't give a fuck. I'll tell anybody anything if they want to listen or if they ask. Not everybody's like that. And, you know, personalities are different. It is what it is. No, no qualms, no fault to them. Um, like I said, there's other other areas that they're probably comfortable talking about. You're not going to get the pricing information, but fucking ply them full of alcohol and, and food and and don't say much, just listen, because they'll talk. It, I mean, that's the thing with it, whether it's a mechanic, an auto mechanic, HVAC, plumbing, whatever. A lot of it, well, especially any of us that are showing up at these associations, we obviously like our career and our industry enough to, to give a shit. So we're the type of people that are very happy to talk about it. Just want some interest in it. So if you can say, hey, look, you know, ask me about this or that. We'll fucking talk all night. I mean, I've been kicked out of the last four Aloha kickoff parties for staying too long because I've been talking to people the entire time. I'm going to do a fifth this year in Orlando. I'm going to get kicked out again. I'm going to do it as many times as I can. But, yeah, we love to talk about shit. So 
more than happy to do it. If and again, if they don't want to share secrets as far as pricing or whatever, you know, we all have our picadillos, but uh, just take advantage of what they will talk to you about. Jeff, if I mean, we we kind of know that, you know, you're mostly a shop guy, but if you were to leave where you work now and go out completely on your own, you know how to do the job. But as far as knowing what to charge, where where are you going to turn to? Like, I guess, you know, you know how to do the work or or maybe if you were to have worked in an institutional setting and you know how to pin cylinders, you know how to install them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but in the private sector, you don't know what to charge. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, just, you know, talking to other locksmiths, figuring out, I mean, if you know how long the, the job, if you know about how long it's going to take and what your expenses are, you know, you could figure out what would be appropriate to charge. You know, like you said, the pricing and stuff, you kind of already know, but how can it, you know, it, it doesn't, uh, the price in Atlanta is going to be different than the price in Cleveland. Generally speaking, you know, you can figure out with other people, but you also don't want to be accused of price fixing or anything like that. Um, so, you know, I would say you got to be careful there. But I, I guess my point was, if you're used to a setting where you don't worry about pricing, like you get paid your salary to do X, Y, and Z as a locksmith for this entire facility, then once you get out there, you're not on salary. You're working for your own. Uh, you, you know, that can be, I guess, kind of a, a learning curve. I mean, would you suggest going to an association or other locksmiths or, you know, just kind of winging it? Um, I would say it would certainly be better to get the advice of other professionals. You know, for for years, uh, you guys have seen it like in Ledger and before they went away, National Locksmith and even Aloha, they had the pricing surveys. You y'all seen that? Mm -hmm. they, I have not. But uh, go once ahead. a year, once a year, the publications will um, release a, a respondent survey of pricing, and sometimes they get fifty, sometimes they get a hundred, five hundred, whatever it may be. But a lot of locksmiths miss the boat on that. They don't understand what the hell it means. They see it as well, they dismiss it because there's no rhyme or reason or it's an affront to their own pricing. But there is some wisdom to these pricing surveys to at least structure, uh, not necessarily in a dollar amount, but what tasks, what services deserve more money or more compensation. So they get lost, they miss the forest for the trees and all that shit. But those pricing surveys are, are still very valuable. You don't have to mirror them exactly as far as pricing or exact pricing, but th there's there's a shit ton of wisdom to be gleaned from it as far as what your peers consider top dollar tasks. Opening a safe, obviously. Um, brand new installation of a mortise lock is far more valuable than rekeying a lock. And so it, it would teach you, by logic, the wisdom of charging more for more 
specified, highly technical tasks. And a lot of people lose that and they fucking just bitch to bitch, but uh, ain't lost on Tyler. So, in other words, reach out to your peers. Reach out to other people. You know, it, it help. People listening to this podcast who are just getting into it, contact one of the three of us. 99% of what you see uh, from others are those pricing surveys you'll disagree with, but that 1% can make night and day difference. Exactly. I mean, go to go to somebody local that you can trust. And if you don't know anybody local, contact one of the three of us and we will help you out. So I guess the the general point of this block is, you know, reach out to your other locksmiths, go to association meetings. If you don't know what to charge, spend some money on an association membership and go there because it is well worth it not just for the education but for the stuff you're going to learn in the hallways between classes well i'm pretty sure we've stirred up a hornet's nest of opinions i'm also sure that you want to hear a little bullshit from a few locksmiths now that's what we'll give up next on spare parts And this is my favorite non-nuanced part of the show, where we all just talk about some random parts of our week, some random shit. Jeff, give me a spare part. Got all my cores done, and I'm happy. Handsome Tim? In Hong Kong, they have a hotel for rabbits. So, pet rabbits exploded in popularity over the covid pandemic and now that people are going back to work they have a hotel for them where they can stay for the day get groomed get their nails done socialize with other bun buns and then go home to their owners that's all i've got all right well i didn't have one coming into that but this story reminded me something that i read this week that uh, china has lost one million in their population not necessarily due to the pandemic but uh Turns out that uh, one-child policy has some uh, effects. Well, another hour you could have spent doing inventory has been spent listening to us. I'm your executive producer, Tyler J. Thomas. Your technical producer is Jeff. My name is Jeff Moss. Writer and editor is Handsome, Handsome Tim Coleman. The director of perimeter security is Barb Dwyer. Our gas consultant is Paul Myfinger. Good old Paul. And our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Known to 1-800-Hacksmiths as Huey, Louie, and Dewey. Take care of yourself and each other. Be safe and stay out of trouble. That's Hefe, man. This has been a Three Tumblers production, Season 1, Episode 8, Copyright 2023, All Rights Reserved. Find this episode and more wherever you get your podcasts.